dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies. Uh, this is Zach Johnson. Hello, Meryl McNally. How are you tonight? Hi, Zach. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This is, uh, we're recording on a Saturday night in August because <laughs> it's still COVID lockdown. We would never be doing this otherwise. You would be out and about in New York City. I would be playing a gig somewhere or traveling to play a gig somewhere. We would never be doing this on a Saturday night in August. True story. <laughs> But all that being said, how are you, how have you been since last we recorded? Good is the standard answer. Weird is probably the true answer. I mean, do any of us know what's going on at this point? Is like some sort of weird, surreal, surreal limbo. How about you? How are you? I'm doing okay. I, I think I'm one of those few people who um, I, I don't want to say I'm enjoying this. I'm not enjoying this. There are things that I really, truly miss. I, I miss gigging a lot. I miss being able to do like just regular things. But at the same time, I think um, it's been harder on a lot of people than it has been on me too. There are certain things that I've been able to kind of make peace with. And I don't know, it's, I guess my introverted side is relishing this opportunity to never leave my house. You know what, that's that's so true. I mean, I definitely, I, I do have to say that I am lucky enough to I'm parked at my parents' house in New Mexico and I'm lucky enough to be with family and, you know, be in a nice living space and, and the, the pace does allow you to work on things you wouldn't necessarily work on. So yeah, there are definitely, there are definitely benefits to it. Although I do miss my life. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm not, and by no means am I suggesting that like I, I would prefer this because I think there are so many <laughs> unknown. <laughs> I, I think there are so many unknown quantities. We were just talking about this before we were recording and I, I was thinking like, wouldn't an end date, like if we just knew when this was going to be over and we could go back to normal, wouldn't that be so helpful right now? Yeah, it would be so, so helpful. Do you know what else makes this whole thing really challenging? Yes, COVID is stressful, but we're all sort of stuck in our homes and the economy is tanking. And then also there's so much upheaval politically that it, it's it's just, it's hard. Like my instinct is actually to like put the earplugs in, you know, stick my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 la. Uh-huh. Um, but that's not really a good time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so there's like a lot of added stress to COVID quarantine. Right. Well, and I mean, we've talked about that really. Another thing I was thinking about was, you know, our podcast um, there. This is an election year. This election coming up will be in a couple months. And I was thinking there's a very real and I hope uh, strong possibility that we will, you know, have a new administration because it feels like our podcast, we first started relatively early in Trump's administration. It felt like it was like really early on. I know it wasn't like day one or anything, but it was like, I don't know. I guess I don't remember when we started, but it felt like it felt like very early in the. <laughs> 2017 so he wasn't that far in and i think it was early in 2017 i think it was like january so yeah he was pretty new and um yeah because we recorded right before the golden globes right right 
Yeah. And um, I think so just this idea of, you know, having a new administration. And I don't know if that's where you were going necessarily. But I mean, even his supporters, I think, would acknowledge that, like, he is what he brings is a lot of chaos. And, you know, this kind of this attitude of uh, combativeness that we've never seen before in our lifetimes. I don't know, you know, how much I always compare him to Nixon for a few reasons. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Although Nixon got his second term, so I don't know. Um, but the the whole thing um, of just like how, and I think it's, it's there's no way it was like it, what it is now, even during Nixon's time, mostly because of social media. You know what I mean? Like there's so much screaming at each other and so much, I don't know, so much just toxic energy out there. Yeah. And it's really, it's really hard day to day. And so much misinformation. Yep. It's really, it's fascinating to me without getting into details. Um, my, uh, you know, I'm in a red county and my, my parents are red and I am not. <laughs> And so it's very interesting to look at their sources of inf news information and my own sources of news information and how the twain shall never meet. Right. And um, that that truly, when you talk about two different parallel realities happening in this country, it is true. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm on quicksand every day, getting into any kind of discussion about it because I just don't the misinformation is astounding and 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 weird i don't i don't know what the solution is to that <laughs> yeah well and what what it seems to me that the other side is is good at is a whole lot of misdirection you know what i mean like you can point out to them well this happened and they'll say but obama but clinton and, and all of a sudden we're on the defensive instead of like it seems like there's a certain sect of the population that never actually is asked to to be accountable for yeah. for our our alleged leaders actions and and statements and everything else that he does because they just throw it back and and I don't know our side I don't think does that we're we're trying to like live in the moment and the current and we're saying you know defend this and and they're asking us to defend stuff from 10 years ago and it's it's a weird it's a weird thing but yeah, yeah. But we're not here to talk about that. No, we're here not. to talk about Meryl Streep, although she might she might join us for a conversation on this. But maybe right? that's how we land Meryl, as promised, just to, to talk about this stuff. Right. <laughs> but what have you have you been uh, watching much? What have you been watching since last we spoke? So I I am definitely <laughs> my sister and I call it buffering. Um, just, just to like get through life, I have got, I have started, uh, binge watching ER oh from, from season one on, <laughs> um, and then even stooping even lower for some quality melodramatic teenage entertainment, I am binge watching the vampire diaries. Oh my goodness. This is oh, not what I thought. <laughs> no, Right. I told you it would be hilarious when we got to this section. My friends are like, have you watched, you know, have you watched Perry Mason? Have you watched? And I'm like, ah, I'm watching Vampire Diaries. Please forgive. <laughs> I will tell you, I watched the, the first episode of Perry Mason and I found it absolutely awful. So don't bother with that. But continue. <laughs> 
Yeah, I watched, I think I got through three episodes with my dad, and that was paying not great attention and found it pr- a pretty tough watch. Yeah, it's, um, it's just not fun. It's I thought it would, you know, it's just not fun. It's just kind of... Uh, really dark. And pretty it's really dark and kind of a schlock to get through. It just, it just doesn't, like, keep me invested, or at least the first one. Yeah. And I don't know if I should give it more of a chance or not, but... You know, once, um, oh, what is that? She's an amazing actress. She was in um, Orphan Black. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Tatiana Mousley. Yes, Tatiana Maslany. Once she gets in there, she's got so much charisma. She plays this sort of evangelical preacher in L.A. She's she's pretty quality. She's an interesting watch, but yeah, I can't, yeah. What's the new (laughs) show on HBO? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. Hang on, I'm gonna look it up. I, I didn't know there was anything newer than Perry Mason. I may destroy you on HBO. It's supposed to be really good, and I just like I'm like, meh. I have been watching I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I will say that about hmm. the Michelle McNamara yep. documentary about her book, and that that is very good. Hmm. I highly recommend that. I I mean, hey, I highly recommend Vampire Diaries if you're into teenage melodramas. I mean, it's high stakes. It's like Shakespearean high stakes in that show. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, be prepared for some serious schlock. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you weren't kidding. I really, I did not expect that. Wow. Quality entertainment over here. Yeah. <laughs> ER, well, though, I have to say, ER holds up pretty well. It mm-hmm. is of its time, so like the gender politics are pretty brutal, and um, also like you realize that the 1990s had like zero sense of gendered by diversity or any sort of tolerance for trans or anything. Like it's just not there. But I would say that's maybe takes up maybe ten percent of the show, and the rest holds up pretty well. Interesting. Yeah. I- if I'm completely honest, I will admit that I've never seen a single episode of ER in my life. Wow. I mean, it was such a big deal when it came out. I remember it aired with Chicago Hope same mm-hmm. time. And it was like, which show is going to do better? Well, and it was part of that Thursday. It was part of that Thursday night lineup that I loved so much. Friends, Seinfeld, um, Frasier was on at one point in there, Mad About You, all of those. I just, I was super queasy. Well, I, I still am. I think I could probably take the show. I mean, I, Dexter has become one of my favorite shows, and that's pretty gruesome. There there are some other shows that I watch that are, like, legit. I But because it was medical, I was just like, oh, this is not for me. And yeah. I imagine I could actually take it, but. You I, can I, now. It's so mild. Like, you see nothing. Yeah. That, Besides blood, they show blood, but you never really see the source of the blood, really. Like, there's not a lot of gore. Um, I, but it's crazy to think that that show started in 94. It ended in 2009. That's actually not that long ago. Right. I'm, I'm like, I'm in season three, I think. But I have a lot of love for it. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. It'll, that, that's a, that'll be a bunch to get through. We'll see how long COVID lasts to see if you could get through the whole thing. I, I have want to. It's 15 seasons. I, well, I had, I had this um, kind of crazy thought of, it's, it's another one that I never, yeah, I've certainly seen random episodes of it, but I never was very invested in it. I thought about trying to sit through the entire Law and Order, which I think is even longer than that. I think that's the like original? 20 years. 
Yeah. Nice. That'd be a good one. I haven't I haven't done it. I'm just saying I, it was a thought like maybe I'll try to watch that show that went on forever. I was utterly obsessed with Law and Order SVU while I was in law school, but only in syndication. Like I would watch it on TBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I convinced my sister to name her son Elliot after Elliot Stabler. I am not joking around. Wow. <laughs> That's devotion. That's devotion. Okay. Well, those are some interesting choices. Anything else that you wanted to highlight? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What have you been watching? I've, I've watched so much that it's kind of hard to narrow it down. I was thinking of this earlier. Um, uh, just trying to think of uh, things that were relatively rele- relevant. Like you, I go back and I rewatch a bunch of things. I've, I found myself rewatching a few episodes of um, The Newsroom with Jeff Daniels from a few years ago. Um, I find that still very timely. The, the ones that I guess I thought maybe were worth talking about was just, I think, two nights ago, I watched um, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks oh, yeah. movie. Have you watched that yet? I did. What did you think of that? I struggled with it because I had, I honestly, I sound like an old lady right now, but I literally had no idea what was going on for the majority of the movie. And, you know, I know my World War II history pretty well. Yeah. I'm certainly aware of that that water battle for the Atlantic. I I couldn't figure out the strategy, what was happening on the water. Yeah. Or who was where? It was it was very challenging for me, so I kind of checked out. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think I think you're smarter than me about those kinds of things. Like it's it's sort of like how I feel about action movies in general. It's like it's how I feel with every Marvel movie. It's how I feel with every Star Wars movie. I I get it. Like the action is interesting. It's bright lights in your face. You know what I mean? You can watch it and think, wow, that's cool. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I felt that way about it too. Like there was virtually no exposition in this movie at all. You were just like, boom, in there, war battle. Who are we rooting for? Who's on what team? What's happening? Yeah. And you know, the movie was an hour and a half long. It was very short. Right. And I, I feel like they had about at least 30 minutes of leg room to, to build some explanations in. That yeah. would have been helpful, even if it was shots of the crew, you know, mapping locations mm-hmm. of, of boats just to give us some. So that was that was kind of challenging. I know Tom Hanks had said he, I, th- I think he was fairly disappointed that it got picked up by Apple because it it belonged on a big screen. I think that's probably true because yeah. part of my problem is in, you know, I don't we don't have a huge TV and in our living room so much of it is connection to sound and what's being said and if you're not tapped into that really well like you are in a movie theater because it's all yeah. encompassing and it has your total focus, you're just not going to follow. And and that's I mean, that's where I found myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was it was more than competently made. It was impressively made. You know what I mean? The, the filmography and, and everything was fantastic. I, you know, have such great admiration and appreciation for Tom Hanks. He and Denzel are tied for first in my, you know, favorite male actor category. So it's always tough to be like, I don't really know about this one. But I, I don't know. It was fine. I, it's it's definitely not a waste of time. Uh, no. You know, and there it's not like something that you'll go, well, 
you know, I'll never get that hour and a half back. But yeah, I wish there was something more that could connect us. And I feel like it was made for such a specific audience that, um, you know, people who already knew that story, essentially, and just kind of wanted to see it. I don't know. Anyway. One thing I think it captured very well, which is the point of the movie, if you're not going to fully know what's going on, is that he had some extraordinarily tough decisions to make as a fairly inexperienced um, captain and the the weight of that, the personal weight of that. I do think that's one thing the film carried across pretty well. And that's, I mean, Tom Hanks wrote the script and he also played the captain. And so I, I mean, he clearly did a great job embodying that. So I'll, I will give it that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I finished Ozark. Um, and yeah, I guess that's kind of the most interesting stuff that I've seen. Again, I haven't seen because there's not much current, um, you know, out right now. It's. Ooh, I watched old guard on Netflix with, yeah. What did you think? Oh my God. I loved it. My mom didn't, but that's not totally shocking. I, I think it was fantastic, and I'm excited for the next one. <laughs> or are they doing a sequel? Um, I think so. It hasn't been officially announced, but it's clearly set up that way, and it was, it, I think it gathered huge ratings for Netflix. I think a lot of people tuned into it. Um, it was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, um, who, if you haven't seen... There are two documentaries out there. One is called This Changes Everything. Yeah. Um, and the other one is um, Half the Picture. And it's about it's about women in Hollywood and specifically directors. And she she's in it. It's very interesting. All of the women who are interviewed are very interesting. Her story is very interesting, too, though, because of the films she directed and then just didn't get anywhere after that even with her track record so it's a very big deal that she i think that movie's fascinating because it's in the comic book world it's directed by a woman of color um it features you know the first sort of the the first um gay gay couple who are also superheroes um, there's just a lot of things going for it that make it different and an interesting watch, um, mm-hmm. rather than like sort of your standard standard Marvel flick. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But I I would recommend it. And Charlize Theron is amazing. Yeah, it, it that has been on my list. I just haven't quite gotten to it yet. But um, yeah, coming up. Well, that made me actually more interested in watching it too. So thank you. So how that um, redeems my Vampire Diaries kick a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, there are a few uh, bits of kind of very small bits of Merrill news uh, since last we spoke. I'm curious if you are for, you know, have heard of these. Um, one is Let Them All Talk, which is for next, probably the next movie to be released. Did you see the thing that HBO Max put out? There's just a yeah. tiny little piece of it in the, no. Um, they, HBO Max put out, and because HBO Max is going to be the distributor of this film, um, they put out this kind of like uh, look at their fall schedule, kind of, you know, promoting the various projects that they have. And um, there's probably five to ten seconds. I know that sounds like an incredibly small amount, but it was like 
three shots um, in of Let Them All Talk. I think the rumors right now are that it'll be sometime around October, but I think it's been confirmed at this point that it's not going to be doing any of the uh, major film festivals, even kind of in the altered formats that most of the film festivals are, are going to. Um, it's just going to go directly to HBO Max. Um, it kind of... There, it's you know there are people speculating about what it um, might be about. She just kind of there's a scene with her and Candace Bergen and Diane Weist where uh, Mar- Meryl is kind of on the floor, um, just sitting on the floor, and she seems exasperated about something. So I I don't know. It'll be it looks like an interesting movie, but we don't have much context for right. it. But there's a there's a couple seconds in there if you just search for the HBO Max um, kind of fall teaser trailer so that's one thing um i what the the there are a couple things one is when we first started this podcast we looked at the upcoming movies on her slate that were in the like in development or rumored section i don't know if you remember any of these remember when she was rumored to be doing uh whatever happened to baby jane with sissy spacek and there are a couple others in there too some of which got made and some of which didn't yeah one of those that had been there for years was a movie she was going to routine with Robert De Niro. I think it would have been their fourth pairing because they did Deer Hunter, Falling in Love, and then Marvin's Room. So this would have been number four for them. A movie called The Good House, which was about, um, I think, like a senator or something. And that movie eventually went away. And turns out this movie has been made, not with Meryl. But Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein made this movie, and it's coming out soon. So, ah, interesting. Yes, I just thought it was worth mentioning because it had sat in her, you know, in in uh, development section for so long, and that happens all the time. There is nothing weird about that. You know, okay. that happens constantly with every actor and actress, uh, you know, of a certain pedigree in Hollywood. That you know, sometimes it's scheduling. Sometimes they wanted to make it with a certain director or a certain co-star. There's various reasons why it happens. And um, so I don't know anything more about it, but it looks like the film is in a post-production. It looks like it's been finished. So uh, it's Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein, Beverly D'Angelo's in it. Um, I don't think I recognized any of the other names in it. but um, And there was this kind of interesting bit of a possible remake of a Merrill movie that I was curious if you'd heard about. Did you hear that there are strong rumors of a Death Becomes Her remake? No. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, that does, I guess that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, I yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I'll be very fascinated to see if that happens. Well, there is a little bit of a kind of interesting twist because um, as it stands right now, the actress is attached in the Goldie Hawn role is her daughter, Kate Hudson. So Kate would be playing the role that her mom played, which there, I don't know, that's interesting. Yeah. And the Meryl role, I'm curious to see, see, I can see your face, so I'm curious to see what I'm about to see right yeah. <laughs> The Meryl role is uh, right now being taken by Anne Hathaway. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> hmm. That was my reaction too. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Yeah, I get that. Like she's a state, she's she's a stage actress, and Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway do have. I mean, not that the. I'm sorry, Bride Wars is a terrifyingly bad movie, but the, those two do have good chemistry. Right, I did. I did think of that too. That they had they had done that together, and I thought, well, 
you know, there maybe maybe they maybe that works, you know. Yeah, interesting. In a lovely piece of symmetry, I feel like it should have been one of Meryl Streep's daughters. That would be really interesting. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Right? Yeah, that would be cool. Okay, so it's not listed under their IMDb's, but I read an article about this the other day. So I guess I, I shouldn't put too much stock in it because maybe it's just one of those things that's being talked about and maybe nobody's officially attached. But those two actresses were specifically uh, referenced. And I think, I don't know, I the Kate Hudson thing is kind of interesting to me. Kate Hudson is um, somebody who... I feel like I don't see in a ton of movies, but whenever I do, I actually really like her. Um, I think she's really good. I think she's really good too. I like her a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, The last thing we are here to do an Angela Bassett tribute episode, but I did, I, I read this article today. It came out three days ago. It's one of those, like this one happens to be from screen rant, but it's basically like the equivalent of like a Buzzfeed clickbait thing. So the author, I want to give him credit. Um, His name is Colin McCormick. And uh, he listed, it said, the top five overrated Meryl Streep performances, or movies, I should say, and the top five underrated Meryl Mm -hmm. Streep performances. So if you had to guess what what somebody would list as, let's start with over. We'll start with the negative one first. Overrated? What is it? What would you say is in her filmography an overrated performance or a movie? Oh, can are I you complete the fifth? Yeah, I was just gonna. Yeah, you can I don't know it. if I can. I don't know if I can, in good conscience, say that any performance of hers is overrated. Yeah, well, and this, like I said, seemed to be like his explanation for these seemed to definitely be about the movie. It was. It was never critical itself? of her. Yeah, it was never critical of her performance now that I think about it. Mm, I mean, Manhattan, I guess. Ah, that's definitely not on the list. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? Do tell. I, I will say that I really strongly agreed with almost all of the underrated ones. So I was a little surprised by the overrated ones. So in order, they were uh, number five was Kramer versus Kramer. Overrated? Yeah. What? Well, they basically, the reasoning was that it kind of turned her too much into a villain and that compared to something like marriage story, it was a little too like one sided. Okay. I'm following. Like they, they, they're they're. I mean, he's really talking about movies. Yes. Because I feel like she saves that from being a movie about a villainous woman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. What else? Number four was the one that hurt me the most. It was the post. No, no, go away. number three was number three was august osage county which by the way out of the 10 movies in these categories we've covered eight of them august osage county was one of two that we haven't done um number two was into the woods which we recently did and both had a pretty strong positive reaction to but i think in general we even talked about this when we did that at the time people kind of just turn their back on that one. So it's fu- it's funny that that one is overrated because I felt like it kind of got panned when it came out. Yeah. But And the number one overrated movie, according to this clickbait article, was The Iron Lady, which is the other one that we have not yet gotten oh, okay. to. Um, although, again, in these things, I, I don't know this person, Colin McCormick, so I'm sure he's a perfectly, you know, fine reporter he did say this was the movie that got her her fourth 
Oscar, which is not true. It got her her third Oscar. So I'm always suspicious when there's little factual things like that in there. It could happen, of course. It's just a little slip. But, you know, it also is like, do you really know? Um, in the underrated category, I really, I, two of these in particular, I was really happy to see. Um, again, I'll go in order from five down. The fifth most underrated movie was Doubt. I agree. That's an underrated yeah. movie. Four was Death Becomes Her. Yeah. Three was The Manchurian Candidate. That's one of the ones I was really excited to see in there. He basically said she's really good in this movie. The movie itself wasn't that great, but she's really great, and Denzel's really great. Two was Defending Your Life. That I was surprised to see so high. It was a perfectly lovely movie, but, you know. Yeah. Whatever. And the number one, I think we can both agree that this is this is a, a high five of Colin McCormick. The number one most underrated movie was The River Wild. Yes. I just went river rafting two days ago, by the way. And I thought of Merrill all the way down that river. Nice. I've never done that. Was it like a was it a scary one or was it just no the, it's so late in the season the water was pretty low we took my nephews and niece and my niece is six and so um it it only got to class class three rapid so it was very chill um we did almost flip the boat which was <laughs> something yeah that's gotta <laughs> that, be scary. Like, high side business we had a great guide he was fantastic and um yeah, it was it was slow motion as the boat filled with water and almost slipped on a rock. Um, and that was like a super mild day. It was just we happened to hit a rock. Funny. Um, but yeah, no, I thought of Mer uh, of Merrill all the way all the way down the river. I qu quoted it all day to my sister. <laughs> Did you play that? Paid, there was a way. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you played that super ethereal version of the water is wide, like through the entire raft ride, like you do in the movie. Start singing it midway down the river. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't think of this before, but I'll, I'll see if I can find this Colin McCormick. I'll see if I can reach out. We've had some fun interviewing like her biographers and stuff. Maybe, maybe we could get this guy to come on and try to try to take him to task for some of those picks. Yeah. I would Julia and Julia is one of her biggest underrated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Although I do think that one, I think, I think her, yeah, her performance is pretty, like, I think people are really drawn to that performance, too. But, yeah, we should make our, actually, that is one of the things that I was thinking of when we finally get through everything, when we do our final episode where we get to kind of sum up everything. I was going to suggest that we make our overrated and underrated lists. So I love that somebody else has kind of done that and kind of beaten us to that, you know. But I'll see if I can find this guy. And Colin, if you're listening, you reach out to me because I bet you can find me easier than I can find you. <laughs> um, you know, cool. we have one more piece of Meryl news. Okay. She's nominated for an Emmy. Oh, that's right. Thank you yep. for remembering that. Yeah. Um, yeah what, do you, what do you feel about her chances? Oh, gosh. Let me pull up the categories real quick. I know it's Helena Bottom Carter. Um, and I think Julia Garner, right, from Ozark, I think. Because Big Little Lies this year is now because it, it last time it was in the miniseries. And because now it's a recurring series, it's in the drama field. It's not a miniseries. It's a drama. So they're up against, you know, 
which I guess makes sense because there are about as many episodes of that as there are of a season of a, of another show. So I guess it makes sense, but um, it feels different, you know? Yeah, for sure. Hang on. Let me look this up real quick. I think she has a pretty good track record at the end. So So it's Laura Dern, Julia Garner from Ozark, Sandy Newton, Westworld, Sandy Newton, excuse me, Sarah Snook from Succession, Fiona Shaw from Killing Eve and Meryl Streep for Big Little Lies. Um, and Helena Bonham Carter from The Crown. I I don't know. I mean, I've seen. I haven't seen Ozark. I've heard it's fantastic. Um, but I, you know, I'd give her sh- a pretty good shot. That performance was pretty epic. It was the only the only concern that I have was whether it was because it was a while ago. Is if the like distance from it ends up hurting her? You know what I mean by that? Like if it's not fresh in people's mind, or if there's other things yeah. that are fresher. Um, I I think Julia Garner is incredible in Ozark. She's kind of in a lot of ways like a huge part of the heart and soul of that show, which I think is is nearly perfect. It's like oh, it's it's like Breaking Bad level perfect almost. But the issue that I had, uh, it has nothing to do with her performance. It's actually the writing. But I felt like that character that she plays has kind of been spinning its wheels in season three in the sense that, like, um, she, I don't know, I felt like there wasn't, there was so much good kind of momentum and movement for her in season two. And in season three, it felt like she was kind of stuck and just kind of had to do the same thing over and over again. Um, So... Um, I don't know. I also think she, I can't remember if it was at the Golden Globes or the Emmys, but I know she won recently. I know she won one of those two awards last year. So, um, so we'll see. Yeah. That'll, that'll be what September that the Emmys are. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to do an in-person thing. I don't, I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Maybe the point is, and I don't, I don't know. I am rooting for a a Schitt's Creek sweep. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they win all the awards for all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dive in now that we're 30 some minutes into this episode. (laughs) We're here to talk about Angela Bassett. This is one of our tribute episodes. So I think this is tribute episode number four. I think I'm not looking at it, but I think our first one was Carrie Fisher. Um, And then I think we did Diane Keaton after that. And then Laura Dern. And I will say, like, Zach, Zach and I have both behind the scenes been discussing um, how, how we include more diversity in this podcast, because the, the actresses we have have done tribute episodes for are, you know, all all white actresses of a certain age. And there's so much talent out there and we want to include it here. It's important to us. Um, and so. You know, we, we've had this idea for a while and it turns out to be quite timely with everything going on in the country. And we're happy about that. Yeah. And I feel like that's an important thing to note, too, because I, I wasn't even sure how to say this particular thing. Um, but I didn't want it to seem, for lack of a better word, like tokenism either, because this yeah. is somebody this is somebody who we legitimately wanted to honor and somebody whose work we genuinely admire and appreciate. And so this has nothing to do with wanting to honor somebody just because they're not a white woman. It's because we really appreciate her work. Yeah. So. Absolutely. 
Um, but yes, that is a good thing. And we're going to try to be mindful of that going forward and try, try to be as inclusive as we can in, in any ways. And so essentially, you know, if, if there's somebody, um, you know, that you think we should take a look at, maybe it's somebody that we haven't considered too. So feel free to reach out to us at Merrill street podcast at gmail.com. Um, we don't do these tribute episodes that often. Um, but you know, uh, we're running, you know, at, at some point we'll run out of Merrill movies. And so this may be a way for us to keep the podcast going forever. <laughs> oh, I like that idea. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we're, we're going to talk about Angela Bassett here. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, like general impressions of her work and like, do you remember the first time you ever saw her in something or do you remember like her, what's, what's something that sticks out to, to you when you think of Angela Bassett? I think the first time I remember her seeing her in anything was Strange Days. Ah, interesting one. Yeah, which was very intense. And I, and I don't even think I saw the whole movie at the time. I think it was maybe on TV and I stopped to watch it. I was just totally mesmerized by her and, and really always have been. And then, you know, she shows up places, unexpected places. And I find myself being very excited to see her. I'm like, whoa! I feel like she... Even when she's so, she often shows up as like a CIA exec. Yep. Right. And every time she does, I, I sort of in the back of my mind think, oh, this movie has more credibility now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you remember the first time you saw her? Um, you know, the first, I, I'm guessing, well, I probably saw her in, I think Malcolm X is probably the first thing, but you know, like really, really like going, whoa, who is this would be what's love got to do with it, which was, I think, 93. Um, you know, I mean, what a what a performance, you know, what an amazing, amazing performance. She was in a lot of stuff before then, but that was kind of like her, you know, she was in Boys in the Hood. She was in a movie called Passion Fish, which is really underrated. That's with Elfrey Woodard. Um, that's really good. Um, but yeah, her kind of like, hey, look at me moment came in 1993 playing Tina Turner and what's love got to do with it. And that was her, so far her one Oscar nomination. She won a Golden Globe for it. Um, and just an incredible, incredible performance. Is that, have you seen what's love got to do with it? So it was one of the movies I watched for this because I had not, I really did not, probably because of my age and my point of reference, she had just a string of really popular movies in the 90s that I did not see. Right. Um, what's Passion Fish? What's Love Got to Do With It? Stella's Got Her Groove Back, Waiting to Exhale. Yep. I mean, I was a preteen. I, you know, it just wasn't. You know, a movie about a 40-year-old woman getting her groove back with a 20-year-old man just didn't <laughs> resonate with me at the time. <laughs> um, and I had I had seen pieces of What's Love Got to Do With It on television, but I'd never watched it in its entirety. So yeah. I took this opportunity to do that. And um, yeah, I have my mind blown. Yeah, she just knocks you off the screen. That scene, I, I kind of, I rewatched it too, but I'd, I'd seen it before. And um, the the scene, it's it's relatively early in the film, but that scene where, you know, Ike's band was like getting women to come up on stage and like sing with them. And she first, and it's the first time everybody's like watching Tina Turner, like come to life in front of them. I mean, like what an amazing scene that is what an amazing performance in that movie she just embodied her 
Really, and what was fascinating was how she, over time, built up her stage presence to what we know to be Tina Turner now. Right. Right, like you could see, you could see the sort of the beginnings of of Tina's dance moves and her physicality on stage in early performance. It's just so, oh my gosh, she's so good. Yeah, um, one of the things I wanted to, it, one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to her work, and this is, I think, the most like Meryl quality that she has, and it'll seem like an an obvious thing. Um, but actually it's funny because I think if you look at all of the, the women that we've previously done episodes on, this is, uh, you know, they're, they're clearly women that whose work we love and admire. I don't know that this is something that I would say really for any of them, which is the range that Angela Bassett has is kind of Merrill like she can really oh. play so many different things. And I was thinking like, God love her, Diane Keaton. We love Diane Keaton. Everybody loves Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton is always kind of playing Diane Keaton. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't I don't think I ever think that when I watch Angela Bassett. I don't go, oh, there's Angela Bassett being a CIA exec. Are those I mean, when I am watching her, I'm fully invested. You're right. It is very Meryl Streep-esque. Yeah. And there's a movie that I watched. Um, it, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I can't remember which. It's on one of the services. I'm pretty sure it's Amazon Prime. It's a made for TV movie from 1991. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's called uh, Locked Up, A Mother's Rage. You know, it's you know, a TV movie is good when it's got that colon in it. Yes. <laughs> Locked Up, colon, A Mother's Rage. And it stars Cheryl Ladd. Cheryl yeah. As yes, uh, another good sign from a TV movie from 1991, Cheryl Ad. Um, and Gene Smart, amazing Gene Smart, and uh, Dean Norris, who played Hank on Breaking Bad, and Ariana Richards, the little girl from Jurassic Park. Um, and it stars Cheryl Ad as this woman, this like totally innocent woman who ends up getting sent to jail. Uh, she She's like holding money. She doesn't even know she's holding money for this like boyfriend of hers and so she gets arrested and the guy totally you know pretends it was her all the time so she ends up going to jail and of course this is based on a true story and angela bassett plays unfortunately kind of an archetype what a shocker of you know the scary black lady in jail unfortunately definitely an archetype of 1991 but i will say she is so good in this movie and like this movie that is just so ridiculous and so over the top and so like alternating between like hysterical and cringeworthy Angela Bassett sells it like I like you wouldn't believe she's legitimately terrifying in this movie and then you look back and you think of her in something like I don't know this is I don't know I'm looking at my list here Mr. 3000 or contact or something like that and you know what I mean like the range to be able to play all of these different types of characters is really something and i think like just i don't know i I appreciate that about her work a whole lot there's a yeah there's a level of commitment in her work um that i didn't fully appreciate until we decided to do this tribute episode and i really started to watch her performances i mean just from scene to scene that i don't think i see yeah there's there's a richness to her performances that are i just think is pretty pretty fantastic yeah 
So um, one of the things that I was curious about, okay, so like we, we were talking before we started rolling here about um, the other thing about Angela Bassett, she's got a hundred credits on IMDb. She's, you know, she, she has worked very steadily and um, she, she is one of those actresses too, who kind of turns up all the time, especially kind of more within the last, uh, I would say 15 years or so doing like voice work too. Like she did the most recent Transformers movie, the Bumblebee movie. She, she did um, voices in a, a, a few things, but one of the things I happened to turn on the other day, I was flipping through again, one of the streaming things and um, Mr. And Mrs. Smith yeah. was there. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if I've ever watched this the whole way through. And I think I, I just, you know, it felt right in that moment. I was like, I wonder if this movie's even any good. And so I just clicked on it. Angela Bassett's the voice of the of the therapist in that movie. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that where you're like, oh, she's in this too, you know? Yeah, she shows up, man. That That movie's quite funny. Yeah. But she also, and I guess this is kind of what I'm getting to, and I'm curious to get your take on. She also has a kind of shocking and disappointing amount of uh, kind of, I don't want to say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say underwritten roles. Like contact is a great example of this. Like she's really wasted in contact. Yeah. She's wasted in a lot of movies. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's nice to see her because I think, Oh, she, she, she definitely builds a credit of a movie, but then she's terribly underused. And I find her filmography really interesting because there's there's so much TV on it even before TV was the popular place to be. Yep. And um, you and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, you know, I would like to think that that was a choice, but I assume a big part of that was lack of opportunity in Hollywood and what she was getting offered. Well, I mean, I think you're right, because like when I look at her filmography in 2002, she did a TV movie called The Rosa Parks, Story, which, in which she was Rosa Parks in. Uh, I want to find it because I was thinking of another one not long ago in 2013. She and Mary J. Blige did a movie called Betty and Coretta, in which they were playing the uh, widows of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. I think um, I have, that's not one that I've seen and I've been curious to watch that one. I just can't find that one. Actually, I've looked for that one. Um, and I, I had the same thought. I was surprised that she had done some of these TV, um, things, but, and I think you're right. I think it's, um, I think it's probably the lack of opportunities to a certain extent, but it's also, those are good roles. And so like, she probably wanted to play Rosa Parks. She wasn't, you know, oh, they weren't sure. making a Rosa Parks movie, on, you know, that was going to be out in theaters. So if she got the opportunity on TV, she was going to go where the work was good rather than a throwaway part in another movie that, you know, wouldn't add much to her filmography. I think that's admirable. I like that. And, uh, you know, speaking of, it turns out she did a stint on ER. Right. I actually was going to ask you about that. I didn't want to kind of lean into that too much. I'm very excited though. So we'll have to, uh, we'll revisit when I come back. But I, I remember, you know, when she joined the American Horror Story cast, I was just so excited. I think Ryan Murphy has done a lot for done a lot for for actresses um, that are you know past thirty. He's just given them some super rich roles to play. I don't. I, have you watched any of American Horror Story? Yes, and I totally agree. Yeah, like her as Marie Laveau is just the greatest thing ever. I love her so much. Yeah. No, I'm with you. She's. It's. Um, 
Yeah, she's been she's done what five seasons, I think, of American Horror yeah, Story. Yeah, she was in was Coven, which was season three, and then she went on from there. Yeah, yeah, and she's fully in his in the Ryan Murphy universe because I think Ryan Murphy is one of the producers on Nine One One, which is the show that she's been on for three seasons too. Yeah. Which I actually I'm very and she's an executive producer on, so I I. I'm very curious about that. I did not watch it as part of this. I really, really kind of stuck to the 90s. Oh, I did, my friend. I you totally, watched one? I watched the entire first season of it for this. Oh, how is it? Okay. I, you know, it. I will say that it took me six or seven episodes. I don't think the first season is that long. I think they only did like 10 episodes or something that first okay. season. Um, and I was I was going to keep going. It wasn't that I wasn't going to keep watching it. But then Hulu or whatever it was on didn't have the second season. They only had the third. And I'm I'm one of those weird people. I like to watch it in order. And this is not a show that you even really need to do that. Like it's it's very, you know, procedural in the sense that like you'll, you'll be fine. Every episode is kind of its own standalone thing for the yeah. most part. There are, there are a few overarching things, but it would, it's like a soap opera. You can pop in and out and you'll be fine. But it took me a solid half of that first season before I realized Ryan Murphy was one of the producers. And when I realized he was, it made so much more sense because this movie, this show is so ridiculous and in the best and worst ways. It um, it's sort of it's funny because the show it most reminds me of is Six Feet Under, that HBO show from quite a while ago now, which also starred Peter Krause, who's on this show. But the the whole thing is like the the first i don't know f- 5 minutes of each episode show something crazy happening to kind of like launch the episode that they need to call 911 services so she plays a police officer but Peter Krause who's the other lead on the show is a is a fire officer er, yeah fire is that right why does that sound weird fire fireman fireman <laughs> fire officer <laughs> The hell am I talking about? Fire person. Fire, fire person. Yeah, that's probably a better term anyway. Um, he plays a he plays a fire person. And so a lot of times he's called out for like medical things, or there's a crazy episode where like a bunch of people um, you know, get stuck on uh in a, a roller coaster, and there's an episode where a woman is having a stroke and starts acting absolutely crazy, and there's episodes with like, you know, shootouts and different, uh, there's a, there's a car chases and stuff. So the first five minutes or so just show something crazy to kind of launch you into it. And it's kind of like how six feet under used to show like a character dying. And that was like the instigation for the episode. Yeah. So anyway, it kind of reminds me of that, but it's also like if, if six feet under met meets law and order meets the final destination, <laughs> franchise because the final destination it yeah it got like this over the top like how gruesome and how crazy can we make the death and that's kind of what they do on the show although it's not always a death but you you know sense that they're almost poking fun or seeing how far they can take that sort of law and order shtick absolutely amazing that sounds like it's right up my alley well, and what's funny about this show is because it, to be honest, even though Angela Bassett and Peter Krause, who I also admire, and Connie Britton is in the first season. She only did the first season um, and then was replaced by Jennifer Love Hewitt, of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
that the previews for it, whenever I saw commercials for it, it always seemed like this super serious, like rah, rah, you know, that kind of show that I, it just didn't appeal to me. And I feel like the tone of the show is so much more fun than I feel like the previews make it look like it's going to be. Interesting. It's like a problem with marketing. Yeah. And it's not that I think, I mean, like the, it, there are heavy moments on the show for sure. Like people die, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that happens. Her character in the first season, and this is not really a spoiler because it's like right away in the first episode. Um, it, it doesn't delve that much into their personal lives, but she's a, she's a police officer who's married to a man and they have a couple of kids and he, he's uh, realizes he's gay. And so it's like how the family deals with that. You know, so that's one of the things that um, is going on on, on her side of the story. It, it's funny. It's such a strange show, but so watchable, you know? Yeah. Sounds right up my alley. I will partake. Yeah. Find that first season. Start at the beginning. Is it on Hulu? It was. Yeah, I hope it still is now that. Um, okay. So anyway, I talked for a whole long time there. You want to get in on what what, what else uh, what else have you watched? Um, I watched um, Stella got her groove back because uh-huh. I had also not seen that. Uh-huh. I do you know what was interesting is that IMDb. I want to say let me look before I spout this off and don't remember correctly. The rating is low. It's in the fives and so were a lot of her movies in the nineties. And so I thought that was interesting it's 5.7 it's not a very high rating for imdb people are pretty generous with their stars on imdb and i didn't look at other i didn't look at other reviews but i watched it and thought it was just so lovely i thought it was really sweet i didn't understand the rating at all yeah great cast i mean you've got her regina king Whoopi goldberg and tay diggs that's a that's a strong top four right there um, I forgot what a national treasure Whoopi Goldberg is. And uh-huh. the two of them have such amazing chemistry. They're so funny together. Um, and I think the movie is worth watching just to watch their scenes together, if not for the whole thing. Tay Diggs is very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. It's been, I think I did see that at some point. Um, that's not one that I... Uh, remember well enough to to speak about but so that's a where did you find that one to watch or did you uh, I read it on Prime although okay. I think it's HBO has it if you have an HBO subscription okay. um, I, I canceled mine recently to save money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are so many of those things right now I know I know um yeah no I would highly recommend it it's really fun half of the movie is in Jamaica also beautiful and she she's just she is also just really beautiful she's just fun to watch because she's stunning Mm -hmm. um this might be a good time to mention i know i've told you this separately and i can't remember if i mentioned this in a in a podcast episode i may be repeating myself i know i'm repeating myself to you but i may be repeating myself to everybody which is that i have actually walked past angela bassett in real life and it was at the uh, Joni Mitchell 75th birthday thing. And there were so many stars there. And I just kind of walked around the room. And um, I, it was, she was wearing the most unique, easily the most unique 
gown there. You know, it was very like, you know, it, it was so modern. It was, it had these, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but these like really sharp, uh, like almost wings that went up. And I mean, she looked like, she looked like she should be in Wonder Woman or something. Like she looked amazing. Yeah. And I remember looking at her and thinking, I, is that Angela Bassett? That's Angela Bassett. And I kind of, I was like this with a bunch of people in the room. I was like this when I saw, um, I can't remember who else too. I think, oh, I, I can't remember who else. There were a bunch of people who was like, no, it's not them. No way could it be them. And then <laughs> I, I read this, I read this thing talking about the event and they were like, it listed the stars who were there. And of course she was there. So um, yeah, no, she's, she is like, she will stop you in your tracks for sure. Yeah, she's she's magnificent. I can't imagine seeing her in person. I I don't I we've talked about this before. I don't tend to fangirl. Like I recognize I, I recognize that celebrities are humans, just like me and you. And most of the time they just need some peace, and so I tend to leave them alone. I almost never fangirl. But Angela Bassett is not a human like you and me. Right. <laughs> she's a queen. Yeah. And I don't think, I think I would totally fangirl all over her. This was the kind of event where I knew that would not be well received. Yeah. She also, she also seemed, um, she had people around her. I don't think they were like her security or anything, but she was there with other people where like, there were people there like, um, what, uh, what is the guy from Monty Python? Um, one of those, uh, Michael Palin, I think was there. He was like, you could just go up and talk to him if you wanted. Uh, George Takai was there. You could just kind of like go up to him if you wanted. Yeah. John, ha John Hamm was there. He was approachable. I didn't, I didn't go up to anybody just cause it didn't feel like the right thing to do. But sure. uh, there were, it was that kind of event where there were, there was like a, a certain tier of celebrity there, you know, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and Angela Bassett and um, Lily Tomlin and, and some other folks. It was just like, you know what? give yeah. them their space. This is a sure. act like you belong, a kind of situation, yeah. you know? So I, I wasn't going to necessarily uh, interrupt her, but man, she was, she was really stunning. I can, I can tell you that. Um, even actually kind of going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, I'm just looking chronologically through her, through her IMDb after how Stella got her groove back was music of the heart, which yeah. we just did. That's another one that like, she was really, really underused in that movie. Terribly. I would, I would really like to see her and Meryl Streep work together in a subs, in, in a much more substantial duo. Yeah, I would um, too. Yeah, I think that would be really amazing. Right. And I can, I can only imagine that really being, I mean, maybe in film, but I think TV. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Now that Meryl is in the Ryan Murphy universe with the prom, maybe it's more possible now. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, one of the uh, and, and I mean, there were move, there were reasons to make that movie. Meryl Streep, Cloris Leachman, uh, Wes Craven. You know what I mean? Like, I can see why somebody says yes to a smaller role um, for a certain pedigree of movie. It's just. For somebody that good, it's just every once in a while you see a movie and you're like, how did they get somebody that good to do such a small role, yeah. you know? Because it's bigger than a cameo, but not enough that it's like, you know, the heart of the movie, really. Right. No. Um, not to, not to uh, 
kind of Bogart too much of the time here, but shortly after that, she made a movie that I'm curious if you've, if you've ever seen because it's one of my, I don't know why, I have some really strange guilty pleasure movies and Angela Bassett is in one of them. Which one? It's called The Score oh, with, yeah. Robert, with Robert De Niro and Edward Norton. I don't know why I like this movie so much, but I, I, could, watch, I could watch this movie on repeat. That's fascinating. I mean, I remember enjoying it. I don't watch it on repeat, but I definitely have my own yeah. <laughs> like that that don't necessarily deserve my love, but they get them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> them anyway. Well, and the score was so widely kind of uh, nobody knew what to do with this movie because it was it turned out to be Marlon Brando's last movie. If I remember correctly, I think he might have even died like before it came out or something. There was some reason that we knew it was his last movie. And there were all these rumors um, that I think were later verified of him and the director, who I think the director was Frank Oz. I'm going to look real quick. Yeah, Frank Oz from from the Muppets, right? He's the voice of Miss Piggy, for God's sake. And um, how Frank Oz could not handle Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando just went like completely bonkers. And De Niro ended up having to direct every scene that... Uh, Marlon Brando is actually in in that movie that Frank Oz couldn't even be on the set those days because Marlon Brando just like tortured him so badly wow. and rattled him so much that basically De Niro just did those just directed those scenes I don't know if this is true I'm just saying this was like the the legend of this movie at the time um so that was part of it but I mean the movie was you know De Niro and Brando and Edward Norton who is like the young upstart Angela Bassett another kind of wasted role she plays Robert De Niro's girlfriend who's disappointed that he goes back into being a, a thief so you know she's in the beginning in which he's promising to give up his career and be with her then she's disappointed when he wants to do one last job and you know so then she comes back at the end but there's this huge middle chunk um, in between and so anyway but what I like about this is it's 2001 not that far removed from what you were just talking about with ER and she and Robert De Niro are playing an interracial couple and that's treated as completely normal like it's not even referenced that there is an interracial couple which I think is really cool for a, for a movie from 2001 you know yeah, I agree. I hadn't even thought about it because they, I mean, they don't draw attention to it. Right. Well, and yeah. we wouldn't think twice about it now, but that's the point is like 2001, yeah. Yeah. we certainly would have, you know. Yeah, I didn't think about the time frame. Yeah, right. that's crazy. It's just really interesting. I mean, we, we know this goes on, but but most recently, um, Tandy Newton did an interview where she talked a lot about how she was treated sort of behind the scenes and what was said by producers and, and directors and what has sort of created her level of comfort or discomfort now. It's really worth looking up. I can't, I can't, I'm totally useless and cannot remember what outlet printed the interview. Is this um, the one she talked about Tom Cruise? Yes. She just dishes some really good tea and some serious truth that everyone needs to sort of read and see because, you know, racism just isn't as overt as we, particularly white people, like to pretend it is. Um, It comes out in the most insidious micro ways. And her interview is very, very, sort of a very good example of that because she talks about how she was treated. But I'm just very curious 
like, um, you know, what went into the casting of the score and what kind of discussions happened behind closed doors, because I <laughs> guarantee you they weren't appropriate. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we'll never know, but I do think it's very interesting. Yeah. So for what it's worth, that's that's one of the laundry list of movies that Angela Bassett is great in, but we needed more of her. And for some reason or another, I love this movie and I watch it more often than I should. You know, she's in one of my guilty pleasures, too. What is that? Admitted to watching The Vampire Diaries. I don't know how shocked you will be by this one. <laughs> wait, I'm gonna, wait give, me, give me two seconds here because I'm going to try to guess. Actually, I'm going to look okay. through her list here. I'm going to see if I can come up with something. Is it This Means War? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I just giggle. I giggle okay. when I watch that. Like I find that movie so funny, and honestly, uh, so much of it just has to do with the cast and not the movie itself. Yeah, because they're quite funny. But I don't know that I've seen that one actually. It's terribly inappropriate. I mean, it's first of all, it's some parallel universe where you know how rom coms tend to set up a reality for you that would never exist in our actual world. Mm-hmm. So, um. Chris Pine and Tom Hardy play these like CIA spy type agents. Their boss is Angela Bassett and they both fall for the same girl and they start basically using their spy trade and access to like equipment to like one up each other in their competition for the girl, which is Reese Witherspoon. It's terribly inappropriate. And honestly, if I think about like the core structure of this movie, I want to go vomit all over the floor because they like plant microphones in her apartment so that they can spy on each other's dates and they break into her apartment to do it. And like very creepy, creepy things if you looked at them in reality. Right. <laughs> um, but for this universe, it's somehow quite funny. Yeah, the, it's. I think you're right, though. That's a romantic comedy thing. Yes, it is. And part of, and I think part of the problem with romantic comedies in general, and which I hope is changing. Right. I I could use this opportunity to tell you about the time that I could have been in a movie with Angela Bassett, and what? I turned I what? turned down the opportunity. I, I mean, it would have been like extra work, so it was not that exciting. But a little movie called Mister Three Thousand. You were you you had an opportunity to be in that? Yes, because it filmed in Milwaukee and they needed thousands oh. of people. But here's here's my story with this with this movie. This actually you probably could have been in this movie. So as some folks, as some regular listeners know, you, Merrill, not Merrill Streep, you, Merrill, and I met uh, when we were in college in Appleton, Wisconsin together. In we were there in 2004 when Mr. 3000 was made. Actually, it was probably made in 2003. And there was a summer in which they were filming. Uh, actually, I feel like it filmed in the fall, but I don't remember for sure. I think it was maybe right after the actual baseball season had ended. And uh, they were filming in the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium. And so I was offered the chance to to be an extra. My sister is in it. My uncle's in it. They went up and were in it a, you know, a bunch of days. But my best friend growing up lived two doors down from me is in uh, a more substantial scene of this movie. He plays, uh, have you seen this movie, by the way? 
Mr. 3000? No, I've seen parts of it. I've never watched it from beginning to end. So the I'll give like the the summation of it. Bernie Mac plays a baseball player who is kind of in like your archetype of like an egocentric in it for himself, in it for the money, not a team player kind of guy. And he gets to the milestone of 3000 hits in his career, which is basically if you reach that milestone, you're guaranteed guaranteed to be in the Hall of Fame. So he gets to 3000 and just quits. He doesn't care anymore. He knows he's reached that milestone. And years later, when it's his turn to get to the Hall of Fame, there is this determination. Um, I can't remember how they justify it, but they they figure out that actually four or five of his hits don't actually count. And so he's four or five hits shy. And so he doesn't think he stands a chance then of getting into the Hall of Fame. And so he decides to rejoin the team just to get those four or five hits. And of course, the thing that ends up happening, spoiler alert, is that instead of getting his 3,000th hit, because he only has a certain number of games that he's allowed to play before the season ends, instead of get, you know, he gets a couple hits and then he could get that 3,000 hit in his last at bat, he instead decides to lay down a sacrifice bunt to help his team. And, but that sacrifice is, of course, for his own, like, lifetime statistics. It's, you know, the the guy who learns the team is more important than the self. Kind of thing. And um, so Angela Bassett plays this reporter uh, who's, you know, kind of covering this story that, of course, people, if it, yeah, it's totally in a logical premise. I'm a big baseball person. This is freaking nuts. Like, this would just never happen. But um, she plays this reporter who basically just shadows him and is covering this story for the sports world and so there's a scene uh one of a few scenes in which he's doing a press conference and my best friend growing up is plays one of i don't know 10 or 12 reporters in the room and it's funny because he actually gets a nice reaction shot to to one of the more kind of um outlandish things that bernie mac says and if you listen to the commentary you actually get to hear the director praise praise my best friend growing up, he says something about, boy, I love that guy's face or something like that. So um, I I suspect that I might have been able to finagle my way into like maybe possibly scenes like that too. So I, you know, I honestly can't remember why I didn't do it. Um, I, I, I don't remember what was going on in my life that summer that I didn't do it, but I didn't. <laughs> I turned it down. <laughs> but I didn't. I don't know what was happening. That might have been the summer that I lived in Appleton. I don't know. I can't remember why um, why I didn't do it. But anyway, I, I could have been in a movie with Angela Bassett is what I'm saying. Um, I wish you had us. Yeah, me too. Hopefully that day will will come. We can do a real yeah, Let's put the extras together. Yeah. <laughs> Be amazing. Being an extra can be quite fun. It can also be very miserable. Yeah. The right oh, you know, this reminds me, actually, I don't know that we want to do this here, but remind me, because in one of our recent episodes, I've, I totally forgot, you mentioned that you had some good stories of, from your time on the set of Pay It Forward. And then I, I never that. asked you. You said, we'll talk about that the next episode, and I completely forgot to ask you. So let's maybe not do that right now, because just yeah. to interrupt the flow of this, it wouldn't be the right thing. But next episode, one of us will remember to actually do the Pay It Forward stories. Yes, Definitely. Yeah. Um, any other movies of hers that you wanted to to highlight? I've got a I've got several left, but I don't want to shortchange it. No, no, no. Let's go for it. Um, uh, 
really aren't any other. Have you seen Waiting to Waiting to Exhale? I meant I really wanted to watch it for this, but I did not get to it. I have, but it's it's been a while, and again, I don't remember enough yeah. of it to comment. I remember thinking that um, her and Whitney Houston um, were good together, and I I watched uh, this tiny little thing that's on YouTube of I think. I think Angela Bassett then is a producer on um, a movie, uh, uh, something about Whitney, uh, oh, like yeah. a, oh, she was the director of a TV movie called yeah. Whitney. Yeah, I saw that. Which I thought was interesting because she'd been in a movie with her. So there seemed to be some, yeah. some like real, um, I'm sure they knew each other. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure they were on, on friendly terms, I would assume. So it was interesting. And I actually, I think I've seen that movie because i think that one is the documentary not the one um they're making a there there's a bidding war going on right now for like a biopic about whitney houston this is obviously right. not that um i think this is like the documentary about whitney houston and so i think she was on what watch what happens live and they were asking what her relationship with bobby brown was since she had directed that movie and i can't remember what her response was to that question necessarily but um you know so she directed that movie. So uh, I, re- but I, re- anyway, to get to your question, I remember um, thinking she and Whitney were good together, but I don't remember much besides that. But here's one that we can both talk about because I know we've both seen it. The most recent Mission Impossible Fallout. So good. I mean, listen, the Mission Impossible movies are their own breed, um, but never cease to be entertaining. Absolutely. And I, I love that Angela Bassett is now included in that universe. I hope she stays there. Yep. I think she probably will be. The thing that I love about her, I mean, I could talk about this movie conservatively. We could do another two hours on this movie just by itself. I love this movie. Isn't that great? It is. Well, first of all, it was, uh, you know, not to get sentimental about these things, but I took my my nephew to see it in the theater when it came out. So he would have been like 11 or 12. And then we went to see it again, you know, a couple weeks later. And then we were going to go see a different movie. I was taking him to a bunch of movies that summer. And we had plans to see another movie. And we got to the theater. And he said, you know what, Zach? Mission Impossible is playing. Let's go see it again. And, like, he wanted to see it a third time rather than see this other movie for the first time, you know. So we sat through it three times in the theater. And, um, I mean, it's just insane because of the stunts that are in that movie i mean those are i feel like that movie is going to be studied for the live stunts they did for the rest of time like that is some crazy shit that happens in that movie well and i feel like over time they've sort of been honing the ensemble around tom cruise to uh-huh. perfection yeah um I, it's so it's just so much fun to watch yeah it really is and, and this is, you know, the stunts, that's really a big reason why I'm so sort of stupidly excited for Top Gun 2. Mm-hmm. You know, that they actually took those poor actors up in military jets and, like, exposed them to, to you know, G-force to get the footage. Um, you know, that's just Tom Cruise's brand. Um, not to digress, but have you heard that uh, he is literally going to be filming a movie in space. Like no, yes, he's going into outer space, and they're filming in the International Space Station. What? Yep. The man is insane, and it's, I mean that 
as best as I can say it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, that's bonkers, right? Like, they're actually making a movie. And the whole thing is they uh, – I, I can't remember. Is it Elon Musk that's behind it? There's some there's yeah, some sure. crazy – there's some other crazy elements to it. And they're already saying like, this movie will not be going directly to one of the streaming platforms. You're going to experience this shit in the theater, which hell yeah, I am. I cannot wait to see this movie. I don't care what it's about. Only somebody with his clout and, and, and money and Paul would be, I mean, he spent a lifetime sort of building up, his currency to do something like that. I mean, the U S military would have never, ever, ever allowed actors to go up in jets to film like that. If that level of money and power wasn't behind it. I mean, it's just sort of, it's sort of stunning. It is stunning. And there's also like this weird, not to get morbid, but like, does the man. A death wish. Oh, it's totally. I mean, like he really wants to die on a movie set. Or honestly, you know what I think it is, and this may be me being a little presumptuous, but but with just from the interviews I've seen and his sort of dedication to Scientology, I actually do believe he thinks he is invincible. There's that element to it too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, um, I get that impression. So less of a death wish and more just a massive risk taker because he truly believes nothing bad will happen. Which that's another podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll give a and shout out. Le- Leah Remini has a has a new Scientology. Donald Trump and Scientology today in an Angela Bassett tribute. What is happening? <laughs> well, the Tom Cruise one at least has some connective tissue there. But I mean, like, and I do want to say something about her performance in Mission Impossible Fallout. But like, speaking specifically about the stunts in that movie, again, you know, one of the to me the most impressive one. There's there's three or four, and actually the the one that they say was the most dangerous was actually the helicopter chase. That's kind of the last big thing in the movie. But there's that scene. Um, I think it's the I think it's the one before this one. There's the one where he's hanging on the plane as it takes off. Do you remember yeah. that? That's crazy. But the jumping out of a plane in this one, which is filmed in such an amazing way in this in this new one. Do you know that he did that? He actually jumped out of that plane over a hundred times to get those shots right? Because it was all about the lighting. It's shocking to me. He jumped That's- out of a plane more than a hundred times. That's crazy. I mean, he's 60? Something like that, yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. It's amazing. And- it's so cool. I'm 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 happy for him to do it because it provides me some seriously great entertainment. Right. And it's always that whole thing of like I legitimately again like shout out to Leah Remini's new podcast which is like doing a nice job of shedding light on like the actual damage that Scientology is doing. It's a Did cult. She have it's a dangerous. Now? She just started one, yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I I was tr- I am truly obsessed with her television show and yeah. I, I mean, we're not talking about it here, but I I have thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> about I psychology, and I honestly hope it goes down and burns in flames. But right, he is. They're they're doing real damage, and I don't mean to override that. It's it's two very complicated. Well, not very complicated. It's two very different things. But you're right that the movies that he makes are like the most. It doesn't it doesn't negate like the the possible like craziness well not possible but probable craziness that he's directly involved in but you know there is some real just like shocking in your face uh stuff that that happens in his movies that's just 
impossible to look away from. But specifically with Angela Bassett, the character and what I admire about her performance in this movie is like, in the beginning, you don't know if she's a good guy or bad guy. Like she, you know what I mean? For the, I don't think you know until the very last scene that she's in, whether she's, oh. she walks that line really, really finely, you know? Yeah. And it could go either way. Oh, she's so good. So now you've inspired me. I am going to, I think I'm going to go back to Mission Impossible 1 and watch all the way through. Oh, they're so good. We have so, we have time. <laughs> That's right. Have you seen any of the uh, Olympus Has Fallen or London Has Fallen, that that series that she's also in? Yes, but I, it's been a minute and uh-huh. I've forgotten. I mean, I did see it. I saw, uh, I saw the first one, whichever one that was. Olympus. Olympus? Yeah. yeah, I saw, and that's the one she's in. She's in, she's in that one and London Has Fallen. And London. Yeah, she's I the- saw Olympus Has Fallen, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I I will say I actually feel I I think maybe you're experiencing what um what I did when you were talking about this means war, which is that there's a real chance that I saw that movie and just remember <laughs> nothing about it. Like Olympus has fallen and London has fallen are exactly the kind of movie that you don't remember a thing about after you've seen it. Like don't get me wrong, they're enjoyable movies. You'll have a great time. But if somebody asks you. Like, you know, a question about something important to the plot in that movie, even three days later, you're not going to remember. And that's not the point. Like, it's it's popcorn entertainment. You'll enjoy that two hours, especially if you're seeing it in a real theater. Um, you know, you'll you'll enjoy the, the movies and it goes in one ear and out the other. And that's perfectly fine. That serves a function, you know. But um, I think she does a nice job in those movies, too. Again, in that kind of like bureau- bureaucratic role. Um contact she was like that too um you know yeah. where she you know how, there's I a lot of politicians and bureaucrats and cia agents yes yeah, yes sure. um i wanted to mention one other do you have any others that you wanted to i i yes i do i have one more but but what's your last one um i i made a point out of watching a few of these that i've talked about but one of them is uh the more recent one that she did on Netflix called Otherhood, which is the movie that she made with Patricia Arquette and Felicity Huffman. Have you watched this one? I did not watch it, Um, but I have it in my queue, ready to go. It's fine. I think she's good in it. I think she's very good. Actually, I think think Patricia Arquette's really good in it too. Actually, I shouldn't say that. They're all good in it. Um, This movie was released on the heels of the Felicity Huffman scandal. And so- kind of got buried because of that they didn't do much with this movie it's a netflix one yeah. uh, but it came out and was scheduled to come out right on the heels of her um arrest and everything involved in her her life and so unfortunately a lot of like even the press that patricia arquette and i assume angela bassett did for this movie kind of re- revolved around how do you feel about Felicity Huffman, you know, her situation right now, instead of saying anything about this movie. I don't think it's the most brilliant movie that any of the three of them have ever made. Um, And I doubt they would say so, but they play um, three mothers uh, who each have an adult son. And um, they basically, each of them kind of is, is at a point where they're so involved in their own lives that they kind of stop investing any attention to their mothers. And so on Mother's Day, um, the the three women who are all friends with each other, the kids themselves are not necessarily friends with each other, but the mothers are, are friends. And um, they, they decide to kind of force themselves back into their son's lives. So they go to New York together to kind of like 
just insist that their children pay attention to them. Um, so, you know, it's, again, I'm, I don't think I'm the, the demographic that this movie is aimed at. <laughs> uh, I do need to watch it. Um, I definitely have it in my queue. The last one I was going to mention is Black Panther. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Panther is a brilliant, brilliant goldmine of a movie for several reasons, least of which <laughs> is, um, is Angela Bassett. She's magnificent in it. Um, I think I, for reasons I think we've talked about on this on on this podcast before, one of the reasons why I love that movie so much is because I, I really feel like we do get to see a form of Black culture that's separate and apart from how, how black people relate to white people. It's just black culture in a universe where it doesn't matter. Right. You know, they, and I'm not even sure I'm phrasing that very well. And I'm, please forgive me if, if I could have found better words, but they're also empowered and brilliant and lovely in that movie. And her, her in particular, I mean, she's a queen. She's a total yeah. queen. Yeah. That's I think that is a great word for her. You know, I mean, like badass isn't kind of big enough. She's mm -hmm. she's bigger and better than that still. Yeah. But she's also a badass. Yeah, totally. Oh, my yeah. God. I have to say in the most um, <laughs> in the most shallow way, I just really want her arms. <laughs> <laughs> she has the most amazing guns. <laughs> they are unbelievable. I could work out for the rest of my life and I would not have those stunning arms. <laughs> she's unbelievable she's so great yeah she's, she's wonderful and you know what like the the bottom line is like there are other movies that we could have pointed out like i watched other movies for this there are there are movies that you know bear talking about chirac the movie that she did with spike lee white bird in a blizzard um i watched a movie from uh let me see i'm gonna pull it up 2002 i think called Sunshine State, which is on Amazon Prime. It's this mm -hmm. tiny little movie that she's in with Edie Falco and Mary Steenburgen and Timothy Hutton. Um, you know, like there are all of these movies in her filmography um, that really warrant people looking into. She was in an Eddie Murphy movie called Vampire in Brooklyn in the mid nineties. Um, Malcolm X, which we talked about earlier. Oh, Passion Fish. Go check out Passion Fish yeah. too. That's a good one. Um, I also, there's a project, an upcoming project that she's in that I am very excited about called Gunpowder Milkshake. Uh-huh. I Have saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks phenomenal. Michelle, Michelle Yeoh, um, uh, Lena Hetty, Karen Gillan, Carla, is it Gugino? Am I saying Gugino. that right? I'm sorry, Carla, if I have messed up your name. Um yeah, it looks very, very good. I've sort of, I, I came across, I, I follow several of the cast members on Instagram and sort of came across, came across the project that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And I don't I'm, know, I mean, it was supposed to come out this year, but I don't know what's happening with it right now. Well, it looks like it has, it's been filmed. It's, it's in yeah. post-production. So it could come out if it goes to one of those streaming services. It looks like an action movie. So it may be yeah. one that hopefully we'll get to see in theaters. Those tend to be better. She's also a voice in the next Pixar movie, which is called soul, um, which I'm interested in that too. I think Pixar is always something. She only has one um, project in the in development stage, but I'm interested in this too. It's a comedy drama with, uh, Loretta Devine, which I love that pairing, um, to be directed by Forrest Whitaker, 
called mm. Getting Happy. I don't even know what the plot is. Just the three of them involved is enough to make me go, yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, totally. She's just she's just like underappreciated and wonderful. So, you know, go go watch a movie of hers that you haven't seen. Go watch a movie of hers that you have seen but haven't seen in a while and, you know, pay some attention to what she's doing because I think she's just she's somebody who we should, uh, you know, she's somebody who should be up for perennial awards, too. And she's just one of those. She's certainly been up for a lot of awards. It's not like she's somebody who's been forgotten about. She's a very well-known commodity. She's a big star. She's super celebrated. She's super respected. But she's just somebody who I think um, is of a of a caliber that we should, uh, you know, I don't know. She's of a she's of a very high caliber that we should always kind of be aware of, and should be she should be on the tip of our tongues more often than she is. I think. I agree. Yeah, I'd like. To, I, I mean, I love I love her in the CIA government politician role just fine, but I would really love to see her get more substantial roles more often because she's got the chops for it and. Um, you know, there's just no reason why there's no reason why she shouldn't be nominated for an Oscar every year along with Meryl Streep, right? Right. There's no reason for it, except that, you know, the industry has a lot of work to do. Right. Well, and I mean, I think the bottom line is like, if you look back to, if you look through her filmography, the movies in which she was the lead, the kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. above the cat, above the title, you know, first, first name on the call sheet kind of thing. What's Love Got to Do With It? Huge hit, Oscar nomination, won a Golden Globe. How Stella Got Her Groove Back. That movie was huge. That was a huge hit, that movie. Um, Even even Strange Days, I think she's probably the top billed star there. That movie was huge, too. That was a big deal when that movie came out. You know what I mean? It's not like she's made a bunch of clunkers in her career. The movies that she's done that haven't done well have had like literally nothing to do with the fact that she's in it. It's just, she happened to be taking a supporting role in this movie. And actually even that she's not even in very many clunkers, honestly. No, no she's not. She's got a pretty good ratio of, of movies. That yeah. She's it seems like, like she's very thoughtful um, in what she chooses to do, which is good. Yeah. So I, I mean, guess maybe that's the thing is like more starring roles, like literally just give her more right. starring roles. Yeah. Did you did you happen to see? It reminds me. Did you see the the Viola Davis clip that went viral maybe a month or so ago when she was talking about Meryl? No. So you should look this up because this was this was going quite viral. Again, it was maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago now. Uh, Viola Davis was doing an interview somewhere. Actually, it was an old interview, and this went re-viral. I think it had kind of stirred up something at when it first happened and then it started kind of going out because somebody else posted and said, I'm feeling everything about this. <laughs> she gave, she gave a, an interview in which she, she said, you know what? I should have the opportunities that Meryl Streep has. She said, uh, you know, she said the people uh, in my caliber, she mentioned Sigourney Weaver and Julianne Moore. Um, I can't, she mentioned a couple other people by, by name and said the only difference is the opportunities, which, you know, Viola Davis has been pretty well spoken on, but she was, she's basically said she's conquered theater. She won the Tonys. She's won the Oscar for her performance in movies. She's done TV. She's done everything that she is supposed to do. And yet she's not paid at the same level. She's not considered at the same level. And there's nothing that she could do to get there. She's, she's done the work. She's proved herself. 
She's done what she's supposed to do and is still not getting paid the same. She's still not getting the same respect. And, you know, where, where say a man builds momentum, you have, you, you win an Oscar, the offers flood in. That's just simply not happening. Right. For, for, for women in general, but also women of color. And it's, um, I mean, I don't know. I was raised, I was raised to believe that you work hard and you build momentum in your career, whatever that is. And that success comes to you by virtue of what you do. And it's just simply not true. Like other, the system is creating ceilings for which you cannot get past. Right. And it's, it's frustrating. It's devastating. And I don't, I've experienced my share of that as a woman. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine um, what it's like for, for say actresses of color. I, I, I can't, but, but I do have empathy. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's everything Viola Davis said could of course be said for Angela Bassett too. Like she's done, she's done the work you can, she's done everything right. And she's also lived a life. Both of them have, and, and, and many others like free of, baggage and free of scandal and you know what i mean like there there isn't even that to say you know like there there are rumors of certain actors and actresses being difficult to work with i've never heard even the tiniest bit of rumbling you know what i mean there's not even that right and even that i mean like even that element is sometimes overblown like that's code for for bitch you know what i mean like that is that is something that's rarely if ever said about a man you know, like when they say that about certain certain women, I don't even necessarily believe that to be true just because it's like, oh, she probably just asked for some agency in her choices, you know what yeah. I mean? And that is translated to difficult to work with somehow. But, um, you know, it, actually that's kind of talking about what Thandi Newton was talking about with the Tom Cruise stuff, basically just feeling uncomfortable in the, in the environment in which she was put in and having the audacity to you know ask questions and like you know speak out about you know her feelings about a scene instead of you know be uh, you know mansplained to like the whole thing in that article was that she was saying that tom cruise literally switched roles with her and showed her how he thought she should do the scene i you and i went to acting school meryl you don't do that you just don't. That's like that's like acting one oh one. You just exactly. don't tell another actor how to do their job. You you you're not allowed in a professional environment to give another actor notes. And he was probably a producer on the film. I don't care. Like yeah. you know, not cool. But anyway, um, I guess that's kind of a downer for us to end on. Oh, but Angela, we love you. Yeah. And, and just give her more opportunities and more roles because man alive she's earned it and what a what a incredible career I can't wait to see what's next so thank you Angela Bassett for your for your uh, you know rich filmography and uh, what a cool time we had going through it all again so yeah and everybody go watch what's love got to do with it yeah absolutely um, okay, so then coming up on the podcast, this is something you and I should have talked about beforehand, but instead we're going to do this in front of our audience here. Uh, our plan for coming up on the Meryl Street podcast. Are, are you up for another COVID challenge? Are you up to do the 80s? Yes, totally. Because these are some serious Debbie Downers. Yes, <laughs> we're going to knock out some. I'll tell you what we have to do. 
we have to put falling in love right in the middle of these movies because there are some real tough ones that we need to break up. Cry in the Dark is actually not that dark, too. I mean, it's not like the most fun you'll ever have watching a movie, but I think that one is not so tough to get through. But Sophie's Choice, Ironweed, uh, there's another one that's real rough. Maybe French Lieutenant's Woman. French Lieutenant's Woman isn't that tough to get through. That's true. I, maybe it's just those two. We need to bookend those two. We need to keep those two away from each other. Okay. I can do that. So um, we're going to try. I think we have six movies from the 80s left. Is that right? Six? Because we've got French Lieutenant's Woman. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to try over six consecutive episodes, which we hope to release in six consecutive days, to do The French Lieutenant's Woman, Sophie's Choice, Falling in Love, Plenty, Ironweed and a cry in the dark. And if we are successful in doing that, we will have done all of the movies uh, from the 1980s. And uh, so, yeah, and I, I think we have a special guest all lined up to join us for one of those movies and uh, to, you know, mix things up. We're going to have somebody midway through to, to come on with us and give us some expertise on one of those movies. And um, so look for that coming again. It'll probably give us, you'll probably need to give us a week or two to, you know, get started on all of that. But um, we'll be back as soon as we can, everybody. And uh, thanks for tuning in. See you soon. Bye, everyone. That's all.